Hey, everybody. Um, today, I am joined. I'm very excited about my very special guest today. I'm joined by composer Dana Wilson. Dana, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's always a great pleasure, and I've been such a great fan for for uh, a long, long time, and, and we were just chatting before we started. Um, can you tell, you know, for our listeners that may not be as familiar with um, with your work as as I am, you know, just kind of tell them about the sort of stuff that you, you normally are, are into, what you're known for? I'm not sure what I'm known for. Um, my roots are as a jazz pianist, and that certainly informs my style and my approach to things. Uh, certain freedom, not necessarily that I ask players to improvise, but coming out of that, having that in my brain, writing music that that sounds like it just is happening, and that's important to me rather than worked over. Um, so perhaps that's what people are drawn to. I love that. That's really great. So you mentioned um, having some roots as a jazz pianist. Like, was that um, is that your origin story in music? How'd you get involved in music to begin with? Way back, way back when. Well, way back when, my next door neighbor was a concert pianist, just by chance, and so she had us march over to her house once a week and take lessons with her. And we even went over there and practiced because we didn't have a piano in the very beginning. So that was just pure happenstance. Um, Around middle school, I started hanging with a bunch of guys that were interested in jazz, and we formed a group, a really terrific group, as you can imagine. (laughs) Middle school Um, jazzers, yeah. Yeah, but but we played a lot. It was a social thing as well as musical. We um, hung out together. We wrote tunes together. We played for various functions. Um, pretty low key, but really important. And they were all really uh, intellectually challenging people. And that made a difference too, as well as good friends. Well, that's very cool. Have you kept up with any of them? I have, yeah. None of them are professional musicians. A few of them have stayed playing. Um, but I'm the only one that sort of jumped off the diving board. Um, but yeah, we stayed in touch and it's always good to reminisce. Yeah, yeah. No plans for a reunion tour or anything like that? <laughs> I don't think anybody would want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, no one would want to hear what I was doing in middle school either. Um, so I, I get that. Okay, so is there, um, if there is one, uh, do you remember, was there any particular experience that you had that made you want to pursue composition and be a composer? I'm sure there was. um, I actually became a composer, quote unquote, hanging a shingle out pretty late in my life. I mean, I didn't major in music as an undergraduate. I majored in psychology. I thought, you know, music's a really cool thing, but how the hell do you make a living at it? (laughs) And um, at that time, so-called classical music was almost exclusively serial music. Mm -hmm. Very uh, abstruse my way of thinking and I loved some of it but it's not what I wanted to do with my life and I thought silly me but I thought well if you're going to be a composer quote classical composer that's what you have to do and so I I didn't want to do that I majored in psychology and I I was planning to be I don't know who knows maybe a lawyer or something and gradually I started hanging out with really good musicians writing for them and and it evolved that way and then i ended up eventually 
grad school at Eastman, and that, that's when it really cohered for me. Oh wow! So do you do you remember uh, do you remember your first piece or maybe your first piece that 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 got a public performance? Do you remember what that was? Well, of course, it depends on how you define public. You know, um, I I don't really. Um, mm. It was such a gradual process, and <laughs> I certainly wasn't keeping track of performances. You know, I was not. And still, I'm not very good at that part of the world yeah. um, of composing. Um, and some of them were, if you, you know, it depends if you count jazz tunes and so forth. The, some of the early non-jazz pieces, pieces that were entirely written out were chamber pieces, pieces written for friends. Oh, nice. Yeah, great. Um, how about, uh, do you have a memory of like... Um like uh, a first big performance of something that you'd written that made you really think, wow, I really need to maybe spend more time on this or, or maybe, maybe writings for me. Was there anything, any big performances like that? Not big. It is it strange. Um, I wrote a lot of little pieces and then their interest developed around those. Some of them got recorded. Um, there was not a huge moment, probably the hugest moment professionally was after I was, writing, I mean, for a long time, and, and after grad school, actually, I started teaching at Ithaca College in the School of Music, and um, I remember they had just started a wind ensemble, as opposed to a band, Right. and um, they hired a person to just conduct the wind ensemble, and he wanted to do a big, splashy event in New York, so he commissioned me to write a piece. And I had never written for wind ensemble, so I was scared to death. <laughs> and then I realized, as I thought about it, it's just a jazz ensemble with extra woodwinds. Sure, yeah. And um, so I, I wrote this piece, and um, it did well. It won a, the two major prizes in the wind world. And the wind world is terrific because um, conductors really share pieces that they like. And so I never considered myself a wind ensemble uh, composer. Mm. And so what's cool about composing, I don't know what your experience was in this regard. And maybe I was just too whimsical about it, but I found myself going down this path. I still wrote orchestra music. I still wrote chamber music. The weird thing was that this suddenly this kind of exploded a reputation in a certain niche or realm. And then, of course, commissions start coming in in that realm. Right. And you're saying, well, should I write this piece or should I make money and write this piece? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so there are all these things factoring in. The struggle is real. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's really that's really fascinating. That's really amazing. That's really amazing that that was really your first wind band piece. Um, and, and that you said you really didn't consider yourself to be a wind band composer because you have so much great music for those ensembles. That's really fantastic. Um, Thank you. Okay. Here's a, here's a great, uh, um, here's a great question that I love. Um, uh, but other than yourself and me, obviously, is there anybody, um, anybody writing out there in the world that you really think is doing really amazing creative stuff that we need to make sure that we're, that we're learning about or that we know about. 
Oh boy. Um, mm. Not that um, you wouldn't already know about, probably. I mean, I have some favorite composers, some go-to composers, um, people like Chris Rouse. Mm -hmm. I always loved his music. Of course, he's certainly well-established, and so, or and now, of course, he's deceased. Um, but um, there are a lot of people like that that inspired me, Joe Schwantner and right. um, those folks. And, and, of course, the more sort of really mainstream guys like John Adams, I think he's done amazing synthesis of styles, which I really appreciate. Um, but um, for one thing, I haven't really kept track of younger composers. And um, I'll hear pieces occasionally when I go to concerts. Um, but I must say, I haven't. I'm probably not the best person to illuminate these things. That's okay. I'm not sure how I would answer that one either. That's a that's a really tough question. Uh, a lot of people just pass. Yeah, pass. <laughs> one thing I think is cool, and since you're in the film world, which I'm not, um, I've been so impressed by a lot of scores recently. Mm -hmm. They're going really interesting places and and seem to have done a lot of what classical music has done, which is break out of certain genres and draw upon all kinds of cultural and ethnomusicological realms. It's very it's a very vibrant time. Very much. Yeah. There's a lot of really creative work going on. And and I would add to that, there's a lot of really great work going on in in um well, it's not really TV anymore, but if you think, you know, what we what we would consider television shows, things that are on the streaming services, there's a lot of really great music happening in in those places as well. And sometimes they get a little bit more freedom to to be a little bit less traditional, which is great. Um so yeah, fantastic. Well, um do you have anything um probably not, but do you have anything that, you know, in your career like some big project? Do you have a big like rejection story or something that didn't work out something you wanted to do that that just for whatever reason didn't work out you know i i don't really have a story like that and it's not because i didn't get rejected it's <laughs> probably because i didn't know about it so much i'm not i was never very good at building a career i never had an agent where i said you know go try to get this commission and so forth and if that had happened then and which a lot of composers do of course um sure. And I know more about rejection. I tended to hear nothing about rejection and just about possible gigs. Oh, that's really wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to live. You know, put your head in the sand. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite things to say is that um, being in high school was great preparation for being a professional composer because I, I got used to rejection. <laughs> <laughs> That's really fantastic. Well, um, are are you are you working on anything? Do you have any like big bucket projects or any projects that you're working on right now? Yeah, right now I'm just finishing a string quartet for the um, uh, Formosa Quartet. Just an amazing group, and uh, that's fun. Um, it's it's interesting because they want a piece that mirrors American culture in some ways. They want to develop this whole project around mirroring America 
you know, in all its ethnic variety and so forth. And so um, the piece contributes to that to some degree. It also leaves space for narration. And um, I tried to create a version where they could play it with string orchestra. So that's really been interesting to write a piece that works for string quartet, but also works for string quartet and string orchestra together. So um, that's been, it's been fun to work on. They played a lot of my music and, they're just amazing players, so it's fun just to think, you know, to, as you know, to have the player in your head is really cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That is a real thing. And I, I'm fortunate I'm in a place now where I've I've collaborated with a number of people regularly that I, I, I'm the same way when I write something for them. I can I can actually hear them playing it. I can hear their tone and their sound and kind of the little nuances of the way that they approach some things. And that's always really cool. And I think it's just really great to have those sort of longstanding collaborations too. You get to know them, they get to know you. And it's a neat part of the creative process, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've i written um, concertos for almost every instrument now. Mm. And um, one reason that I was drawn to that was I would literally visualize that person who's commissioning the piece or the ensemble who's commissioning it with that soloist in mind. Yeah. Um, I would envision them walking out on stage and picking up their instrument. And I knew what they sounded like. And I, it just felt so physical. And um, and then what were they going to do? You know, oh, I better get to work. <laughs> uh, but But it was fun doing that. It felt very personal. You, do you find um, do you find that that you write differently when you're writing for a specific performer than if you're just well I have this idea so I'm going to go write this piece do you do you find you approach them differently at all? Um, I might be influenced by what I've heard them play specifically. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about that. I have had the experience, uh, for example, I wrote a piece for Larry Combs who was at the time, the principal clarinetist in Chicago, with mm-hmm. Chicago Symphony. And um, I knew his playing, and I knew, because I had written another piece for the Chicago Chamber Musicians, and after dinner, we got together, after the concert, actually, we got together, and um, he was talking about my writing piece for him, and it turned out that he loves Bulgarian music, there's a long clarinet tradition, and um, which I do as well. So I wrote this piece that drew upon these different worlds. And um, I sent it to him, and I didn't hear it. I didn't hear any rehearsal. I just showed up for the premiere. Oh, wow. And he comes out on stage, and he just... He made this piece much better than the piece. You know what I mean? (laughs) You realize that what we do really is just put notes down and suggestions and gestures and a little bit louder here and a little bit slower there and so forth. And he just pulled it off the page and it became this whole other personality. It was just, and yet uh, it was exactly what was written at the same time. It was was such an experience. So... um, those kinds of uh, interactions with players have been really helpful and meaningful. I've written about 
eight pieces for Gail Williams, the horn hornist, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Chicago area. And um, every time she just, <laughs> wow. It's, oh, that. it's just a treat. <laughs> yeah. What, oh, golly, what a, what a great musician. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, all right. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, has, was there anything that, that while, you, you know, in your career, any, like anything you bought or had made for your studio, a piece of hardware or software or something that you used that made your writing process like easier or totally, totally changed things for you? Well, um, I think what you're in the sense that you're asking, the answer is no. I mean, I would always improvise at the piano, so I had old school technology. Sure. Um, I I got Finale when it first came out, right in the early early days. Floppy and, discs, uh, right? Probably like like eight floppy discs or something like that, and yeah, something like, like the, that. The two ton manual, you know, books. Yeah, exactly. And it was a disaster. I mean, it crashed <laughs> all the time. Yeah. I lose stuff every day. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> And so I used it, um, you know, obviously gradually it improved and I improved too. So in that sense, it helped, but I'm not a tech person. So I didn't kind of find my voice or anything through the technology. That's great. Um, Did you ever, when you were working on something, did you ever experience writer's block? Um. I mean, there are times when I didn't feel like writing, for sure. Yeah. But um, one thing I learned is working with students, because they come in every week. Sure. Having had writer's block. Yeah. <laughs> and it may have been an excuse, but it's a hard thing to say, no, you didn't, you know. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time, and I spent a lot of time thinking about how to get around it. And um, basically, I feel you have to trick yourself. And so you can approach composing, as you well know, from so many different directions. The actual putting down the notes, you can research the instrument, you can listen to other composers to get inspired. You can, And so the important thing is to sit down, not say, today I'm going to work on measure 39 to 63, but to say, I'm going to do something. Yeah. And that leaves your brain open to, well, right now I'm not working on 39, so... Maybe I'll go listen to some, it's a piece for trumpet and piano. I think I'll go listen to some trumpet music. Um, or I'll uh, I'll just take some material that I, I've written to this point and manipulate it in different ways, whether I'm interested in it or not. Right. Um, you know, the old turn it upside down, slow it down, speed it up, just try stuff. Sure. And, and eventually... It's amazing. Eventually, you take care of business, particularly when there's a deadline. Oh, yeah. Deadlines are very motivational, <laughs> for sure. I, I sort of miss having the... Um, I used to have a little box in the corner of my office where I would discard you know, stuff I was working on that, that I didn't think was going very well, and I'd just toss it over in the box. Now I don't have that anymore. I just have all these files of things that I have to... I look through and I think, what was this? Oh, that was that. Yeah, that's why I haven't worked on that in a while. That's a terrible idea. 
but I sort of miss tossing it over in the box, you know, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll start printing them out and I'll print out the bad pieces and I'll toss them over in the box from now on. Maybe that'll be my new thing. It'll come mm-hmm. out of this. Um, well, do you, do you have, um, what advice would you give? You obviously uh, uh, mentored many, many young composers, um, you know, over your career. What What's like your, your like best cornerstone advice for, for a young composer? Just write and make friends with players. Mm, yeah, that's good um, advice. Those two things. And um, I mean, it's a fine line, this thing of, uh, you know, here's my piece. Could you play it? Um, but if you go to people with a certain um, humility and saying that you really you love their instrument and you love their playing and you'd like to see what they think about this, um, most people get really excited about talking about their instrument and talking about what works in your music or doesn't work in your music for that instrument. Um, and and just to be open to that, I don't consider it failure if they say, you know, this passage doesn't work at all. And what a great learning experience. Yeah. Because it doesn't work, so you might as well know it. Right. <laughs> so um, and you take it home and... and um, there's a reason that violin music sounds violin-y, you know? And um, so you have to get into, rather than make it work for your world, you have to get into that world to some degree, or at least make it a marriage of the two. And um, so I think that's the um, the most important thing. Do you, Do you think, and I've had this conversation with several people, do you think that because of how accessible things like notation software is now and all the thousands of sample libraries we have now do do you think or maybe do you find that younger composers have a hard time um learning how to write for real instruments because the computer is so good at just spitting out the stuff that they write yeah i do i think certainly for the first draft they do Mm -hmm. um they learn pretty quickly. You know, you can tell them that this this passage is awkward for these reasons, and they can say, "Oh, okay." Or better still, take it to a player, and you'll hear it. Right. And then you can analyze what what it is about that passage that that doesn't work. It's a great way to learn. And um, if you're not going to leave the music as a computer file, you need to learn that lesson. And yeah. um, so, but but write and get the feedback from the computer. The great thing about the computer for me, as uh, in particular as a teacher, was before computers and before you could do any kind of playback, um, you'd work on something for 20 minutes, say. You work on a passage for 20 minutes and you think, Okay, that's 20 20 minutes. Now I need to move on and do something different. Well, 20 minutes of working on something translates to 30 seconds of music, if you're lucky. Yeah. And so the tendency for students, and probably this is true of me too, I don't know, was to put too much stuff in and to create change too often. And the good thing about the playback thing is you learn really quickly. Oh, my God, that's only 30 seconds of music. Right, and, and you learn just by pushing a button. 
so that's an advantage. I think there is a formal structure advantage. Uh, and there's an advantage just to hear the varieties of colors coming through. It's, I think it's a great opportunity for a player to and for a composer to have that feedback. But it's just initial feedback. You don't know anything about balance. You don't know anything about what the instrument sounds like in that register. You don't make, he doesn't have to breathe, you know, all kinds of things. He doesn't have to cross strings. Um, so you still have to keep an ear to the technical part if you want to have real players play it. Because what real players want to do ultimately is they want to sound good. Yeah, and sure. They, they, they want to make beautiful music from the standpoint of what how they define that. And if the music technically is in the way of that, they won't be interested in your piece as great a piece as it may be in, in other ways. There are millions of pieces sitting on the shelf that players don't respond to because they are the ones that have to get on on stage and express themselves. And so you need to create, simply all we do is create a vehicle for them to get on on stage and express themselves. And it's this amazing communication between the, pl the player and the audience literal communication that we all experience, you know, whether it's a pop singer or a violinist, that's where the communication goes on. And the composer sets up this kind of opportunity for that to happen. Um, now in the world where you spend a lot of time, um, that's, that's quite different if you, you know, going immediately to a soundtrack or something. But, but in my world, I go immediately to the player and so that's where my focus has to be. What's going to make them feel really like getting out there and doing something? Yeah, that's that's all really great. That's that's a really great point. And and I get to see both sides of it because I I still write a lot of things for live people, but I also write a lot of things, um, you know, that they get synced up in the laboratory and and are never played for live people. And it's a different it's it's a different art form. Both of them. Uh, mm -hmm. require different things you can't i learned very quickly you can't write for you know the computer you can't write for logic the same way you write for you know a band or an orchestra or vice versa um but i yeah i love what you said about that about just making it easy for the for the performer that's really that's really that's really it i mean it's that's really key that's very cool um well um how about this tell um Tell us about anything that, um, what kinds of things would you like to do in your spare time? Do you have any non-musical hobbies? Um, I like to read. Mm. And I like to hike. My wife and I hike a lot. I suppose those are the two, two big things that sustain me. Yeah. Uh, bike ride. Hang out. Um, I have a bunch of kids and, and now grandkids, so that's been busy. Yeah, that's a lot of fun right there. Yeah. Well, um, I'm an old Baylor guy, so I I met Stephen Stuckey when I was in school. What what was it like? You just kind of being around somebody like that, having having somebody somebody else in real close proximity to you that was that was writing really amazing stuff while you were there too. Yeah, Steve was amazing and, and terrific person. Yeah. And um, really, really fine composer. And um, 
he knew how to reach out to the professional world. Mm. He was really good at that. And um, I can't say I learned from it, but it was great to observe. And um, and so he um, he did extremely well and wrote really beautiful, heartfelt music. And as I said, just a really sweet guy. So it was great, great hanging with him. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I, I was lucky enough. I got to visit Ithaca uh, many, many years ago. We'll call it 20 years ago, maybe. Um, and it was just really fantastic. It was a really great place to be. The School of Music, obviously, is really fantastic. And everybody was was so nice there. But I thought, I couldn't help thinking, like, God, Dana Wilson and Stephen Stuckey just, like, live here and <laughs> and hang out and inhabit this, you know, this little, this little world right here. It's, it was really amazing to think about um, having two such really amazing, prolific composers. Um, living in, I mean, Ithaca is kind of a small place, you know, it's a, it's right, not a big, right. it's not a big metropolis. It's a, it's a really lovely, um, you know, quaint little town in the Finger Lakes. Uh, I had, a, I had a wonderful time. I should not have tried to drive from Buffalo in whatever time of year it was. That was a mistake, but, uh, <laughs> but I made it. Um, um, you sure knocked on my door. Ah, I know, I know. I, I, we were, we were in and out very close. We, we got to talk just briefly at the, at the, uh, the concert. Um, for just a moment, uh, not for very long, and um, and I got to meet Carol Husa. Carol Husa too, hanging out. Yeah, in Ithaca, right. I right? was just going to say, Carol was here. Yeah, like how how cool was that? Um, I remember I didn't I wasn't in the band that played it, but when I was a freshman in high school, one of the bands at my school was playing music for Prague, and I listened to it and I just went, "Oh my God, what is this?" Yeah, I did <laughs> and, too. <laughs> and then of course, as I got older, I'm like, "Oh, that's that's really amazing, genius stuff right there." Like this is really really cool. Yeah, so yeah, I I, I should not forget about um, about him either. Just kind of hanging out in Ithaca as well. What a what a neat uh, what a neat man he was. What a great career he had. Um, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. So uh, what a special what a special time and place um, for all those things. Well. Um, that's great. We I always end these conversations with um, I think I said in my in my email that they were ten secret questions. Um, they are they are frivolous mm-hmm. and um, and not at all serious and uh, just just a way to have fun here at the end. And every now and then I have to I have to edit out somebody's answer <laughs> because that's just the way that it goes. Um, uh, but anyway, um, we'll we'll end with my ten my ten secret questions, and um, I tell everybody I oh, you just answer them, don't answer them, um, <laughs> pass, um, get real creative, whatever whatever you think. Some of them are very easy. Tell us uh, what's what's your favorite food? What's your favorite thing to eat? Ice cream. Ooh, what flavor? It doesn't matter. It's more the quality of the ice cream. Oh, nice. Okay, I can get behind that. <laughs> behind ice cream for sure that's a great choice do you have a favorite place in the world you like to go favorite place to like vacation or visit um not really i like um i like france a lot mm. just just got back from japan and that was great um and then um we hang out in various places in the states we have kids around the country, and so we have one in L.A. and one in the Northwest and one in Boston. And those are cool places. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, these are really cool places. Um, uh, do you have a favorite color? Hmm, blue probably. Blue, good choice. Blue. I'm I'm a green, but I can get behind blue. Blue's, <laughs> blue's perfectly acceptable. Um, oh, this next one gets a lot of controversy. I get a lot of mixed answers on this one. Okay, so I I want you to really think about it. All right, all right. So is is Disney World the a happy place on earth, or is it really the happiest place on earth? <laughs> That's an interesting question, particularly in light of our current uh, political situation. Um, I think I think Walt Disney was an absolute genius and putting together Disneyland and then, of course, Disney World um, and tapping into something that's quintessentially American. Mm. Um, and this whole walking this line between fantasy and reality and doing that in such a kind of safe environment. Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, there's also something darkly corporate about it. Um, <laughs> it's a little weird, but I'll stay with the other part. I think, um, and, and people from all over the world, go there. So um, it's not my thing. But um, for people particularly, I know a lot of adults go without kids. And I could never sure. see that personally. Sure. But um, but if you have young kids, particularly and seeing them in this fantasy world for a long period of time, it's, it's just a joy. So um, I'm a fan. I love that. No, I, I will vouch for the fact that adult trips to Disney World are quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh good the standing in line not so much but um but there's there's lots of other things to do um okay oh you know what this is another one that gets a lot of um a lot of mixed reactions so maybe uh maybe spend a second to think about it. if we were sponsoring a boxing match between john Mackey and frank to kelly who would win hmm well that's a tough one yeah given the nature of his music I would guess John Mackey. Yeah. Um, but they're like both would just, really strong yeah. personalities as people and uh, in their music. So maybe a good good match. I, I feel like Frank Tichelli would have a very technically proficient performance, very well crafted and thought out, and that John Mackey would just sort of Tasmanian double all over the place. <laughs> and that, you know, yeah, like who knows? Who knows? I'd like to see it, quite honestly. Um, maybe Midwest. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So more more silly questions. Um, are you somebody that sleeps with your socks on or off? Hmm. Off, but I never considered putting them on. So maybe I should. I'll, I'll reflect on that, Jason. I I feel Get like this is yeah. Well, I get a lot of interesting answers on this one too. Um, I'm I'm an off, but I'm from the south, so I feel like you know it gets hot. So I don't mm -hmm. know. I, I never would have thought of it either. And I think when I lived when I lived in the cold weather, I just let my feet be cold. I didn't think about it either. But some people do. Hmm. Um okay, if you could have any job other than involved in music, uh what do you think it would have been? I think a public defender. Ooh. Lawyer. Nice. 
only because that's what I considered doing way back when. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know whether it would have been great, and, and I know a lot of people that did it and got very frustrated. So, sure. um, But to get up in the morning and do something that you feel makes some sort of contribution, not a bad thing. Yeah. Wow, that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, is there a... I know you said you read a lot. Is there a movie or a TV show or something that you watch and like that that most people don't like? Well, I don't know. I just finished this series, Succession. Oh, yeah. 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 Of course, everybody turns out really like that. So, right. <laughs> at least a lot of people did. Um, I found it intriguing. And I, I found the music track really intriguing. Mm. Did you happen to see it? I, I did. I watched the show. Yeah. Uh, How they use that, that theme over and over and over in all these different contexts. I just I just love checking that out. Uh, it occurs to me right now that I've never actually looked to see who wrote the music, uh, which really. Nick Brattel did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the music is really fantastic. You're right about that. Uh, yeah. And what a great show. Interesting show, yeah. Provocative. Yeah. Thought thought provoking. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately about a bunch of spoiled rich kids, but interesting. Yeah. I feel like I'd like to try that out sometime, being a spoiled rich kid. <laughs> I feel like I could slide into that pretty good. Um do you have um is there a favorite time of day that you feel like super creative or that you like to write a certain time of day? Uh morning. After a couple of cups of coffee, once the afternoon happens, I'm pretty shot. You're out. Yeah. I'm the same way. I get up before everybody else. I'm up oh, yeah. two, three hours before the house gets up. By the time the house gets up, I'm done writing for the day most of the time. <laughs> good, good, good for you to have that rhythm. That's great. And then when everybody goes to bed or, you know, like I, when, when my children were younger, when they would go down for a nap, I'd, I'd sneak in an hour maybe. But, yeah, I tend to write when everybody's everybody's away um very cool well um dana wilson i can't tell you how much i appreciate you taking this time with me to chat with us hopefully um hopefully everybody enjoyed uh listening to you no one enjoys listening to me but hopefully they enjoyed listening to you and um is there anything you'd like to to leave the leave the listeners with before we before we say goodbye i don't think so thanks so much for doing this i mean not just with me but for all kinds of composers, what a nice service and, and um, contribution you're making. This is great. I and appreciate I wish it. you luck with your writing. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for all of that. Well, uh, everybody, composer Dana Wilson, um, check out the podcast and uh, check out his music everywhere that you can find it. Coming to a concert hall near you. And uh, thanks for listening.